0: So David gave me uh, this passage from uh, Matthew chapter 6, um, which will be familiar to us, I know. And but in particular, he, he gave me two questions that we will try to reflect upon as we, uh, as we go through this um, time together. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single r to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? It's going to be interesting. So uh, Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read, if you've got a Bible with you, um, either one of these types or one of those types, then we are, uh, we're going to start reading from uh, verse uh, 25 of Matthew um, chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, Each day has enough trouble of its own. And we thank God for his word to us. You might need to do it. Brilliant. Okay, so let me introduce you to Mr. Worry. There's a certain generation of us who grew up with the Mr. Man and the little Mrs. as well. And uh, this is Mr. Worry. And let me tell you what it says about Mr. Worry. Mr. Worry worries about everything and all things. Life is one long worry for poor Mr. Worry. He was always worried that if he went shopping, he would leave something behind or lose something on the way home. If it rained, he would worry that the roof of his house would leak or if it didn't rain, that his house plants would die. This Mr. Man character is often like someone we all know. This is Mr. Worry. And I want us to think about a question this morning. Where are we with worry? Where are we in our lives with worry? Amongst us, there'll be worriers, serial worriers, Those who seem to worry about everything, like Mr. Worry. Also amongst us, there'll be those who don't appear to worry about anything. So led back, the little saying goes, you'd almost think they were horizontal. They don't appear to worry about anything. And then there's probably the rest of us, somewhere in the middle, who worry from time to time who worry about the ups and downs of life. There's many things that we could worry about. And of course, there are different seasons in our lives when we can worry. So when, when I was a student, I was worrying about where I might end up being. I was worrying about would I meet someone to marry. I was worrying about uh, the world in which we lived and decisions about the future in Northern Ireland, where there were many, many problems. Today, I worry about my kids, about where they're going to end up, about their futures. Sometimes I worry about the Methodist Stationing Committee, because in our system, they kind of ring you up and say, right, you're going from there to there, and you wonder where you're going to end up. Um, You worry about uh, jobs, careers. We worry about money, all sorts of things. We can worry about health. We can worry about... Uh, what the future might hold, we can worry about elderly parents, all sorts of things. And there's lots of worry in our culture today. Um, We seem to to live in a world where, um, if you want to flick the next one, brilliant, Um, we seem to live in a world where there's lots of worry. Worry is, someone put it, a contemporary uh, epidemic. And uh, I typed, the disease, a little phrase, the disease of worrying into, uh, into Google, just because I do these sort of things from time to time, especially when I'm in person, just to see what, what's going to come up. And uh, what came up was a reference to a book written in 1907 called The Disease of Worry. And I managed to be able to read, because obviously I can't get it, managed to be able to read some of the first few pages around the introduction. And the, the author was writing about the epidemic of worry in the early 20th century. And I thought, hmm, Not a lot has changed over the last hundred years or so. And as I've been thinking about it this week, I've been thinking about, I guess, degrees of worry. Because worry is just a, a word that we all know, but there's other words that exist around the word worry. What about the word concern? Is it okay to be concerned? So you've got a spectrum almost of concern and we say, well, yes, it's okay to be concerned about something that you can do something about. Then you might have the word worry and you might think, well, what is it that we, are we allowed to worry? Are we not allowed to worry? Is it good to worry? Is it bad to worry? Does a Christian worry? Does a Christian not worry? And then you move further along the line and you move from concern to worry to anxiety. And then it's a whole different ballgame. Anxiety, negative stress, mild depression. In 2014, see if, oh, there go, brilliant. In 2014, uh, an article in the Daily Telegraph stated that four million people in Britain are on antidepressants, and actually that statistic had doubled over the previous ten years. So ten years prior to that, approximately two million people, it's thought. We're in antidepressants, but in that 10 year period, that had jumped from 2 million to 4 million. And I suppose there's lots of questions for us around that. And certainly in my friendship circles and in the last congregation that I served in, I had numerous conversations with people, Christian people, who whispered to me as their pastor, John, I had to go to the doctor and I'm on tablets. And of course, in many of these situations, there's absolute genuine need, and the article talks about this. Is it genuine need? Is it a quick fix? Is it overprescribing? And a whole combination of those, those factors probably are involved. But what we can say for sure, that as we do little surveys amongst people, we can see that there's a level of anxiety and worry and concern in this world that just seems to be, and in our culture, that seems to be getting out of control. And as we think about this passage today, and we'll come to the passage in a moment or two, but as we think about it today, I'm conscious, and I think we should all be really conscious, that there are people with different levels, different people at different levels about the things that they are worried about. And I'm sure all of us know, all of us have journeyed with uh, people who have had uh, serious worries, concerns, into anxiety and mild depression. I want us to be really aware of that and sensitive to that as we worship and as we get around God's Word today. I had one of my leaders in one of my congregations had exactly that conversation with me about um, mild depression. And what they said to me was, they went to their doctor and the doctor said, well, look, this is what I think is, is going on here. And they said, well, but I couldn't be depressed. I'm I'm a Christian. At which point the doctor, also a Christian, told them to catch themselves on. It's a reality not just out there, but it's a reality within our church communities too. So let's get to this passage from the from the, the Sermon on the Mount, as and as we think about this, I want us to keep calm and and don't and don't worry. And of course, um, and I'm sure Dave introduced this, this last week, but we're, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and some reminders um, about the Sermon on the Mount for us. Jesus speaking to his disciples, the 12, and likely those who, the wider group who had chosen to follow him. They, of course, were from a Jewish cultural background and faith. These people would not have been wealthy. This is not the elite of society who have gathered around Jesus to follow him. These are ordinary people. And what we have in the sermon in the Mount, uh, and it's, it's good in election season, is almost like a manifesto for disciples, followers of Jesus. Jesus is not giving them a new law, but exploring what it means for the law to be fulfilled ultimately through His death and his resurrection. And Jesus, in my view, is offering a commentary on culture. Uh, and he's offering a commentary on the culture, religious and non-religious, um, of his day. Think about, and if you, if, you, if you know this stuff, think about how important what you ate, what you drank, and how you were dressed was in Jewish culture. It was of major significance to the religious leaders. In fact, what you ate and drank affected whether you were acceptable in the eyes often of the religious community but it's likely that many of those who were on that hillside with Jesus didn't have a lot to eat and drink. They had a subsistence lifestyle, nor would they have had an extensive wardrobe to choose from. So that was one group of people, but of course in the background to that as well, there was another group. There was the wealthy elite, the Jewish authorities and the Romans. Also, you could say, concerned with what they might eat, drink, and wear, but in quite a different way. In quite a different way. Um, one of the, the books that I always go back to, one of the commentaries I always go back to when thinking about this passage is John Stott's work on, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and it's subtitled, Christian Counter Culture. And that challenge is what Jesus brought to his disciples when he first preached this sermon. But equally, equally, that challenges the culture in which we live today. What is it to live as God's people in this world? And with particular reference to what we're gonna think about today, what does that mean about the theme of worry? It's It's a challenge to the religious culture that many of us in Northern Ireland have grown up with. Often characterized, by unexplained rules and misreadings of the Scriptures. I don't know about you. Certainly I did. Many of us grew up with our Sunday best. It's the clothes you only wore to church on a Sunday. And uh, you would meet with disapproval if you didn't look right and you didn't fit in. The question I think that I started to ask, particularly as a teenager, maybe it was just my rebellion, I don't know, what about those who don't have a Sunday best or don't look like they fit in? What does that mean um, for the church and for culture? And just to kind of, there you go. So this is, this is from the Preachers Institute website, okay? So if you want to go and have a look at that. And you'll see there in, in this picture uh, degrees of, I, I'm not sure approval or disapproval of what direction you want to go on, but certainly the one on... The right says sloppy, so I think there might be some judgment in that. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Hopefully business casual is what I've been aiming for today. <laughs> but people get concerned sometimes in church with what we wear. And just in case you think I'm being uh, not gender well, here's another example. Acceptable dress and unacceptable dress. Um, let's see if I can't. No, I'm not, i not. You can have a look at that yourself. There's a few funny comments at the bottom that they're worth exploring as well. So for me, the Sermon on the Mount challenges some of our preconceived ideas about our culture as a church, but also, of course, it challenges the post-Christian culture all around us. Sermon on the Mount does that as well. And as we seek to live out our lives for Christ, we seek to challenge a culture that is morally ambiguous, consumer-driven and orientated towards the desires of the individual. That's the world that we live in, and we're called to live counter to that culture. So what is Jesus asking or saying, particularly in these verses that we've read today? Well, verse 25, and we're going to run through the passage now, and if you'd like to do that along with me, that, that would be great. But From verse 25, therefore I tell you, and so I don't know where Dave finished off last week, but this is where we started, has reference to what has come before in the previous set of verses, which have a little title in the NIV, Treasures in Heaven. In verse 21, it says of Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And that's the key verse for that bit of the passage. You cannot serve both both God and money. What is it that you're investing in? What is it that you are valuing most of all? Our calling as Christians is to invest in spiritual things, in the things of God, not in earthly things. We're not to set our hearts on earthly wealth, but the spiritual riches of God's grace earthly wealth is not to be the focus of our attention as Jesus says in verse 22 it's the eye the eye is the lamp of the body so what we gather up for us in an earthly sense is not to be the focus of our our attention but neither when you come to these verses that we've read neither should it overly concern us it is not something to be worried about do not worry even about the basic necessities of life eating drinking what will we wear so let's take this worry. we thought about the word worry almost in a contemporary way already, but what is it actually, how is it translated? Well, in the, in the original Greek, it has a sense of when you worry, it's about fear, it's about anxiety, and it's about sleeplessness. So what are the things that keep us awake at night? What are the things that we are afraid of? What are the things that cause us anxiety? This is the, the, the area of worry. That Jesus is addressing. And of course, as we think about worry itself, this sort of worry does several things to us. It's debilitating. It restricts um, our ability to to live life in all its fullness. It is life-draining. It renders us ineffectual. This is what worry does to us, but Jesus came to offer us something else. Jesus came to offer us life in all its fullness. And in John 10, in the, in the, uh, when he offers the picture of the, the shepherd and the sheep, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so as we come here today with our worries and our anxieties and our concerns about life, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life, and life in all its fullness. And that is quite a different perspective. The life that Jesus gives us is more than the material that can rot away, and maybe Dave addressed that last week. It's this life is spiritual, eternal, everlasting. That's the kind of perspective that we need to have in life. So, Jesus goes on, verse 26, and gives a great illustration, the birds of the air. And the impression that we get from the birds of the air is that they are carefree. They're not gathering up. They're not building in barns. But birds do work hard, have you ever seen a bird? Have you ever watched birds? They're on the go all the time, and, and they're moving all of the time. Have you ever seen a bird's nest up close and seen the amount of intricate work that, that, a, that birds will have had to do in order to build that nest? So Jesus is not saying that we should not work or earn, that we should not not take responsibility for those who are dependent upon us, But that we should recognize that as we live our lives, we're not dependent on those things. But we're dependent on our Heavenly Father who provides for us first and foremost spiritually. And that that offers us the perspective on the material things that we have in life. And then we come to that first of those challenging questions that Dave asked me to particularly focus on. Verse twenty-seven: Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single R to your life? We've already thought about the idea that uh, that worry doesn't add to us in any way at all. All it does is substra- subtract away from us. So we cannot add. And the NIV rendering, which says "add an R to our lives," can also be understood in relation to weight in a sense of influence, some suggest, or even ambition. So by worrying, nothing can be added to us. We cannot add anything to ourselves. There's a limitation to our human achievement here on this earth. But our calling is to seek nothing more than to glorify God in our lives. And then you come to the example of clothes, and why do you worry about clothes? It's very easy to read this from a 21st century perspective. My daughter is nearly 12, first year in big school. I've discovered that to 12-year-old girls, fashion is important. So this is not an anti-super-dry Hollister Jack Wills text. There's other texts that are better about modesty and dress, and that's it for another time. But this does ask a question about clothes. People on the Mount with Jesus, as I've said already, would have not had much in the way of clothing. So it's not about the clothes themselves necessarily, it's about the worry and the perspective that the worry, uh, the perspective or the worldview that the worry exposes. What is it that concerns you or worries you? And in the next few verses, Jesus goes on and gives another illustration, uh, an illustration from nature, an illustration from Israelite history. The beauty of creation, what God has made is awesome and beautiful. And then Solomon's splendor, and unimaginable to to, to the listeners of Jesus, but they would have heard the stories about the splendor of Solomon's temple and the splendor of his kingship. But even all of that is incomparable to the splendor of God's creation. How much more has God given? How much more will God give? What we have now is temporary, but the life that God gives in Jesus is eternal. And this is the promise that God makes to us. This is what we're to trust and believe in rather than what we necessarily were. What makes us distinctive in this culture, this culture which doesn't share our beliefs, is our trust in the loving provision of our heavenly Father. Verses 31 and 32, Jesus sums up saying, do not worry about what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. We should not be surprised if those who don't believe, pagans, run after these things because they don't have the eternal perspective that we have. So if we have that kind of eternal perspective, why do we worry about the material things that we have? The challenge to us seek to follow Jesus is to be not obsessed, not worried, not over-concerned, not anxious about, this is a great word, stuff. We're not to be anxious about stuff. To be anxious about stuff demonstrates our lack of faith in God and our lack of understanding as to how we're to live our lives in response to God's grace. And of first importance before anything else. In verse 33, it says, Seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seeking first the kingdom of God is the antidote to worry and concern in our lives. To seek first the kingdom of God is to live counter to the culture around us. And that's what we're called to do. Sadly often that culture we see it in the church as well as in the world beyond. But to seek first the kingdom is to underline and to magnify our identity as children of the living God, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters to the Lord Jesus. That's what it is to seek first the kingdom of God in our lives. And living these kingdom values does not promise us an easy life. It's a challenge. There'll be hardships. There'll be things that worry us. But we're called to radically trust in God. But how then are we to respond? How are we to respond to this passage. How are we to respond to the idea of worry in a culture where it seems as if so many people are worried about so many things? I think there's a number of things that, that have come to mind this week as I've been thinking about this passage. We need to we need to worship with all our hearts. We need to orientate our lives to honoring God in all things. Even coming here this morning, singing um, some of those uh, songs that we have sung, um, just in my mind reminded me of God's grace, God's love once again, to read God's word and to understand what that is saying to us. That actually in the scriptures and in, in, in the community of faith that we're part of, that, that there is wisdom for living life in this world, with all its worries and concerns, we need to have a, a God focus in our lives. Another another area of of response for me, anyway, was I read this, and so I offered to you. And this is this is maybe a personal thing. So, if there's anybody who's like me out there, then this will be good. It's sitting easy to life. Sitting easy to life in this world now. That's not easy to do when you have really important and difficult things to deal with in life. But actually, and my wife would certainly say this, sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously. She says this of me. That's right. <laughs> and uh, there's been a few times this week, I was at a couple of meetings at the start of the week, and uh, things that we were discussing as a denomination in the Methodist Church and uh, challenges about the future and about mission and about ministry and what that looks like. Challenges about, I work in, uh, as Trevor said at the start, I work in the college, in Edsel College, where we do our training for ministry and so on. And uh, We are rightly thinking about how we do that better in the future, but I'll, be con- I'll confess to you, that worries me sometimes. In fact, often, I have to say. What does the future look like? How can we make us work? And my heart's desires to see people come to know the Lord and the kingdom to grow. But when you're dealing with the brass tacks of everyday life, it's like, what does this actually look like in the future? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for um, the wider church as well? And there's a few times I've been driving around this week and going to various meetings where I've been sort of having a prayerful conversation with God, saying, right, God, what what is it that's going on here? And uh, I could be wrong, but one of the things that, that I felt challenged about God saying to me, John, this is meant to be fun as well. Uh, this kingdom that you're called to be part of, it's supposed to be something of joy and celebration. And so I felt that challenge, right? Maybe sometimes I take myself and my circumstances much too seriously. And actually I need to sit easy to life. But there are those of us then, in another area of response, who are really worried, have genuine worries and concerns about big things right now. And the question is, what do we do about that? Uh, We're way beyond the days when people used to say, look, you know, you're a Christian, smile and you'll be okay, and trust the Lord and everything will be all right. But we need to remember some of the promises that we've heard from, from the Psalms today or some of the other promises that we find in Scriptures from 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so for those of us who are dealing with very real issues around worry and anxiety, we need to tell people that. We need to be honest about it. We need to seek brothers and sisters who, in the community of Christ, will pray for us and support us and build us up. And as part of that too, as well, we need to see a doctor. My best friend is a Christian. And he's a GP, and uh, and I know many in that in that uh, who work as Christian GPs who will listen sympathetically and well to those who come. And maybe we need to see a doctor and we need to understand that within the community of Christ that there is no judgment but there is an acknowledgment of the grace and the presence of God and so we get to pray uh, words like Wesley prayed love the fact that we sang love divine at the very start breathe oh breathe your loving spirit into every troubled breast and today in our lives we need to breathe again the loving spirit of God into our hearts and lives. And the things that we are concerned about this week, whether it's uh, in the workplace or in the home or in the classroom, our prayer is to be breathe, oh breathe, your loving spirit into every troubled breast. And one more little thing that I wanted to share with you this is a little prayer, it's, a, it's based on First Chronicles chapter 29. For anybody who's come from a, an Anglican background, this may well be familiar, because it's straight out of the Book of Common Prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. All things come from our Heavenly Father. All the good things that we have. And so all we simply do is offer all of those good things back to Him. And that includes our lives. We offer all of our lives to the Heavenly King who loves us. Who loves us no matter what we're worried, concerned about. No matter what is causing us anxiety. We have someone whom we can come to and bring those things to this day and this week.